This is Power Lunch, exclusively on Lightning Power Play via the iHeartRadio app. Shattenkirk at the right point tees it up. Whiffs on oh, a shot. Now Martin geez. punches it out to center ice. Maybe a two-on-one. Lee across the blue line left circle. Put it in front. Everly scores. Shattenkirk misses the puck. Are you kidding me? Jordan Everly wins it for the Islanders in double overtime. Anders Lee came out of the two-on-one. Set up Everly in the... Islanders have forced to game six. They have, and it wasn't going to be easy. But it's pretty interesting when you take a look at the series so far. The Lightning haven't won a game when Braden Points hasn't been in the lineup, and they've won all of them when he's been in the lineup. Has the playing field been leveled that much with one player being out? I think it's a fair question. And it's one Dave Michigan and I can get into in addition to what we saw last night as the Tampa Bay Lightning, in a gutsy performance, I thought, fell in double overtime to the Islanders 2-1. to one. Remember, they had a goal taken away. Carter Verhage in the second period, a correct challenge on the offsides, negated that goal. And the Islanders did a good job of blocking shots and not giving Tampa Bay a ton of great looks, although you can make the case that Nikita Kucherov had some in the second overtime. But let me bring in my partner, the man who called the game, Dave Mishkin. Steve Ersnick is producing, and we have Brian Engblom coming up in our next segment. Dave, what did you make of the game last night? We knew the Islanders were going to play tough. We knew all the the chat coming in was desperation, and boy, they really didn't force the issue a ton. They kind of waited for Tampa Bay to make some mistakes. An unfortunate bounce there on the two-on-one goal with Shattenkirk at the point. I don't think you're going to see that too many times, but give credit to the Islanders. They capitalized, and they lived to fight another day. Yeah, the desperation from the Islanders manifested itself in how hard they defended. I thought from beginning to end, and the end was the equivalent of a game and a half because we played past the midpoint of the second overtime. That was the strongest overall defensive performance from the Islanders so far in the series. They really did look like the team that had been so good defensively earlier in the series but the lightning equaled it and I think that's kind of the big takeaway on the lightning side at least post game which is that if you are going to predicate the lightning's success in this playoff year on how many goals they're giving up how they are defending in front of their net how they are limiting shots and scoring chances against they did a lot of good things yesterday too so I think without question, it was the strongest cumulative or collective defensive game in the series where both teams played phenomenal team defense without the puck in front of their own net from beginning to end. (laughs) There just were not a lot of scoring chances. And while the Lightning, particularly in the overtime, I think had more scoring chances, not a lot, but more. And you referenced, you know, Kucherov had a look. Sorelli missed the net early in double overtime. Sergachev had a chance late in the first overtime. They had that four-minute power play, and while it wasn't as noisy as maybe the Lightning would have liked, Kucherov had a really good chance on that four-minute power play. While the Lightning may have had more plentiful scoring chances, 
I'm not sure that any of those were true grade A's. Maybe they were grade B plus scoring chances. The two best scoring chances in overtime came for the Islanders. Barzell in alone in the first overtime. Vasilevsky makes the save and then the two on one. Through all of their hard work, the Lightning never had a breakaway in overtime, certainly. I mean, you can make an argument that the Hedman goal was a little bit of a break off the rush for for Coleman because they caught the Islanders in a line change in the second period. But strictly speaking, in overtime and for much of the game, I mean, the Lightning didn't get a Barzell-like look that he got in overtime, and they certainly didn't have a clean two-on-one like the Islanders got in double overtime. So while the Lightning, I think, did a lot of really good things to limit shots, limit scoring chances, they blocked a lot of shots, as did the Islanders. The Lightning had more possession time in overtime for sure because of some puck management issues that they had earlier in the game. And we can get into that because that's an interesting part of this where they were not clearing their zone well, but they did not give up chances, even though they had some shifts that were over a minute in their own end. So they they were battling despite not executing with the puck well. They cleaned that up in overtime. I mean, they were coming out of their own zone really well in overtime. They had the majority of the possession in the two overtime sessions. They had more shot attempts for sure. They had more shots in the two overtimes. They had more scoring chances, although not a lot. In the two overtimes, the two best scoring chances came for the Islanders, and they were able to cash in on on the second of those and win the game. Yeah, and what was interesting too, you know, the Lightning had that power play in the third, heading into the first OT. Yeah. That you know they didn't generate a ton of uh, scoring opportunities. I mean, they had a couple of decent shots. That Cooch had a one timer. Yeah, that was the one I talked about. That yeah, was a, yeah. that was a good shot. That was, was a really good save by Volamov. It was and. You know, Barzell had probably the best scoring opportunity outside of the two-on-one of the evening when he was found all alone. And, boy, wouldn't have been a, a great time for him to get loose. And the talk after that game would have been, well, is this going to get Barzell going? But certainly uh, he was denied by Vasilevsky. Um, I'm not too worried about the Lightning moving forward, Dave. I, I do think it is interesting, and I, I want to ask Brian, but I'll, I'll throw it your way. We know Brayden Point is, is a very dynamic player. And my contention has been I think it's going to be hard for the Islanders to beat Tampa Bay three straight games. But has the playing field been leveled that much where, you know, stats don't lie. The Lightning haven't won a game in this series with point out, but they've won all the games when point has played. Is it as simple as that? And I guess does point mean that much to this Lightning team? You could probably make the strong argument he does. I guess I'll answer the question this way. Certainly in last night's game, and I would make the argument in game three as well. Game three, the Lightning lost. That was the other game that Point didn't play in, and and Florin was suspended for that game. The Lightning lost game three because they made some some large, significant errors. By large, I don't mean a lot, but the errors that they made were significant and – bad right that that gave the islanders great scoring chances kind of like a real microcosm of the two plays in overtime that we talked about in last night's game but you know that's two mistakes basically the lightning made over the span i don't think they made many mistakes in in regulation either so they had far fewer mistakes last night than they did in game three but the lightning did a lot of good things in game three and that's a three three game late third could they have won that game without Braden Point? Sure. 
And could they have won last night's game without Braden Point? Absolutely. I mean, they had many chances to win that game. I would say this, though. Their odds of winning last night's game probably would have gone up had Braden Point been in the lineup because he has shown that he is capable either single-handedly, like at the start of game one, or with his line mates of creating chances and creating offense. And on a night in which there was not a lot of offense to be had, having a guy like that in your lineup may have given the Lightning a few more looks than what they were able to generate. But because the Lightning defended so well and made so few mistakes and played a patient game, in a way it was a little bit like game one against Columbus. It didn't go as long. And obviously the Lightning won game one against Columbus and lost last night's game. But in terms of how patient they were in their approach, you know, they didn't risk defense for offense. I mean, the Shattenkirk play is a bad break. It's not like he was he was being risky, right, and sacrificing defense for offense. It's a hockey play that that can happen and and went wrong for the Lightning, and the Islanders were able to capitalize on the opportunity that evolved from that. But I thought the Lightning played a really patient game and, and made sure they, they were mindful of their own net, and they had plenty of opportunities to, to finish that game, including the power play that you mentioned. So... I don't know it's as cut and dried as you made it out to be that points in, they're going to win, points out, they really miss him, and they're <laughs> right. going to lose. But I do think that having point in last night's game, which, look, he wasn't there, but if he is healthy or healthy enough, maybe is the better way of putting it, to be able to affect the game in a positive way, again, the Lightning might not have won last night's game, but I think they – they probably would have had more looks just with point in the lineup. But that's not to say that they lost the game because he was not available. They had they had their chances for sure. And, you know, they couldn't get it done. Varlamov made some saves. The Islanders blocked a lot of shots. And in the end, the Lightning made the one mistake, if you want to call it that, a little bit of a bad luck miscue uh, that led to the winning goal. It actually reminded me, Final thought before we we get to Brian. Game six, Islanders-Flyers in double overtime. Scott Mayfield, he didn't whiff on the puck, but it's almost identical in that he's at the right point in the offensive zone and his stick breaks. And he's without his stick. It's not an odd man rush per se, but the Islanders are, are down a stick. And the Flyers countered, moved it up ice. Hayes makes a great play to not allow Mayfield to get a new stick from the bench. Sets up Provorov and the Flyers end up winning basically, you know, off the rush in the entry and then a drop feed to the high slot. Not that unlike what happened in last night's game. I mean, Shattenkirk didn't break his stick, but because his stick missed the puck and he almost like passed it right to Lee and then Lee bumped it out and and they get the two on one. It's kind of the, the similar deal that, you know, these things can happen in the game of hockey and it can happen in double overtime. And if it happens, you may get scored on. And that's exactly what happened to the Lightning last night. And it's what happened to the Islanders in game six of their series against the Flyers. Well, you know, that's a question I'm going to ask Brian Engblom, Dave. You know, I like to ask those those big overarching questions. And we're going to uh, get into it with Brian and uh, talk about the series. 
in general is Tampa Bay still up three games to two. We've got game six tomorrow. And, of course, the winner will face the Dallas Stars. Back with Brian Engblom. It's the Power Lunch on Lightning Power Play. The perfect social distancing distraction for your lunch hour. This is Power Lunch, only on Lightning Power Play on the iHeartRadio app. Always like talking hockey with our next guest, former NHLer, analyst now for the Lightning. We'd love to have him on. Brian Engblom joins us on the program along with Greg Lanelli and Dave Michigan. Steve Ersnick is producing. Brian, great to be with you. And boy, you know, overtime hockey, there, there's nothing more exciting and probably more nerve wracking as a fan to watch something like that unfold. As a, a guy who played, what what are the emotions like when you're in overtime in the playoffs and every play is magnified so much? Well, it was a lot worse for the Islanders than it was for the Lightning, that's for sure. <laughs> they were biting their nails. for, sure. uh, And you could tell that, you know, both teams were, were uh, playing it pretty conservative. There weren't many chances taken. And, you know, there wasn't a lot of action for, you know, the first overtime. Um, and pretty much all the way until, the, you know, the final goal was scored. There were a couple of chances here and there. But otherwise, it was kind of dump it in, you know, dump it out of your zone, uh, work it, you know, as, as conservatively as possible. Don't take any chances. And um, for the Islanders, I think you try to forget about the consequences. Uh, and that's hard to do. But either way, doesn't matter which team you're on. I, I thought, the, you know, the Lightning were smart to play it that way because the longer it stays tied all game long, um, it, it, the pressure is, is on the Islanders because they're the ones that have to win. Or it's all over. So um, it was understandable from their standpoint too that that they would play it that way and wait for them to to make a bad mistake and hopefully take advantage. Well, it didn't work out that way, and I think Varlamov had a lot to do with that. You know, he he had a, his best game of the series, I thought, and made some really good saves. And having said that, there's really not much <clears throat> that Vasi could have done on either one of the goals. I mean, the winning goal was a terrific two-on-one pass, and there's just no way to get across on time. You know, even as great as, you know, his athleticism is, there's not much he could do on that Everly shot. And the power play goal with a moving screen in front, I, I don't think he just ever picked it up and, and got a beat on it until it was probably only a couple of feet away from him. So, um, you know, all the way around, I think, you know, John Cooper pretty much, you know, shrugged his shoulders and went, hey, you know, you, you played as hard as you can. We've been on the good side of it. And this time we weren't. It is a very small margin for error. And uh, you lace them up again tomorrow and, and give it another shot. Brian, in the first segment, we talked about how the Islanders played with desperation, but it's not like they went all out. Their desperation almost seemed to manifest itself in their commitment to playing defense, which is part of their identity. But we felt the Lightning matched that for for basically the whole game in terms of their commitment to playing defense in front of their net, what were the teams able to do so well that allowed them to limit shots and scoring chances for the equivalent of a game and a half? Yeah, I mean, they played four and a half periods um, and and did it very well. And yes, there were sequences certainly where the Islanders had puck possession inside the zone. And yes, the, the Lightning fa- failed sometimes to get it out over their, over their blue line. And so the cycles would continue for the Islanders. But just, I mean, the shot totals will not always tell you, you know, uh, everything about a game by any means. 
But in this game, when you look at four and a half periods and 24 shots on goal total for the Islanders, that means even with those sustained attacks, they never got the puck into the dangerous scoring area very much. And when they did, there were a lot of shot blocks and the Lightning, you know, continued to execute like they did against Columbus and and like they did against the Boston Bruins. They've really, you know, really understood the entire playoffs uh, how they wanted to play in order to win, which is a much different style. And, you know, we've talked about this many times now compared to last year and, and even the year before that, for that matter. Um, and so I think, you know, it, it, the way they play now is a culmination of what the core has gone through and what the court, coaching staff has, has been preaching ever since uh, a year ago <clears throat> when training camps were starting. Um, and uh, I think they've done, done just a really good job. They have a better understanding shift after shift of who they're out there against. Because when you're out there against Lee in front of the net, that's where he's effective as compared to Barzell, which is he's effective pretty well anywhere else other than there. He doesn't go to the front of the net very often, right? He's attracting attention anywhere around the outside. He's really hard to hit. I mean, you've seen him, you know, he's like a water bug, right? And, and you can't get a bead on him. He can stop and change direction and double back two or three times and not run himself out of room. I mean, he's got some, some incredible skills when it comes to his, his uh, agility. Uh, so it, it takes a couple of guys to, to contain him, and that's exactly what he wants. So you, you have to really understand who you're out there against. And I think that's one of the biggest things that the Lightning have learned uh, here in this playoffs and been able to execute as, as well as they have. Um, and I, I agree with what Coop said. Basically, it, it is pretty small margin for error. They certainly had some chances. I mean, look at earlier in the game. The first power play they had was one of the best power plays we've seen in a while. They had four really good shots on net. Uh, they had a lot of, lot of good motion. And then, you know, the next one, when they had the four-minute power play, uh, not so much, right? It was, but, you know, you're, you're up against a, a desperate New York Islander team that's on the penalty kill. And, boy, that's where you can execute with a lot of, of energy and, uh, and emotion when, you, when you're killing a penalty. And you've got to hand it to the Islanders. They did a good job on that one. Brian Engblom joins us here on Power Lunch on Lightning Power Play. Brian, it's something I posed at the beginning of the show, and I want to ask you. The Lightning haven't defeated the Islanders when Braden points out of the lineup. They're undefeated when he's in. Has the playing field been leveled that much with point being out, or does this just mean Braden point obviously means a great deal to this Lightning team? It's, it's probably a little bit of both. Um, Braden is the transmission of the offense because of the way he skates and the amount of time that he has, uh, you know, he, he has the puck on his stick. Um, he is very similar to Barzell because he has the great wheels and he can double back and, and skate the daylight and, and uh, really change the flow of the game because when he's flying, it really enthuses the offense and it enthuses his team. And it also puts the Islanders back on their heels. That's a very valuable asset even before he starts to make plays and try to, you know, make something out of his puck possession. That, that is an asset that very few players in the National Hockey League have. And Braden has that. 
So when he's not in there, it changes the speed of the attack. There are more exchanges, and every time you have an exchange, there is a margin for error, and I think you saw that a lot last night with a serious number of turnovers. And then the game becomes more simple because when the coaches see that, they say, okay, let's simplify things here. And you saw the players dump it in and go chase it or dump it in and make a line change. Don't get caught out there tired. You know, those basics come back in. And also, you know, and for me, the way I look at the game is, is different than what you hear from the coaches, I think, and the players and a lot of other people um, along the way. Nobody, no team, no individual sets out to be a lousy passer. No team says, yeah, let's really screw this up. That's really passed badly for an entire period. But it happens. So when it's, and for all your, you know, you can say, you know, the coaches can yell at you, well, concentrate more. Well, do this. Well, make the passes shorter. Well, I'm trying. <clears throat> what do you think I'm trying to do? So the, the other side of that is you can't give anything away. And I think that was a lesson the Lightning never learned ever last year, ever. And it used to infuriate me because it's just, even as good as they were, 62 times to win games and the magnificent plays they'd make, they botched a lot of plays. That's hockey. There's another team out there. Or you're just not quite sharp sometimes. You have to be in good position when things aren't going well, and you have to give them nothing. If you defend well, all those turnovers don't matter, relatively speaking, until you can turn the ship around and get something going offensively. And that's when you need guys like Braden Point. When things aren't going well and, and the offense is broken momentarily or certainly stalled, that's when I want Braden Point, when I want Kucherov, when I want Victor Hedman. When there's open ice to skate with it, that rectifies things, that smooths things out. And next thing you know, oh, the passes start getting better too. That to me is how you best utilize and how your star players control the game for you. And that's what they get paid to do. I'm really glad you brought that point up, Brian. And I've heard you talk about this before, just off air conversationally. And I look at this playoff run for the lightning and i can think of certainly the second period against columbus in game five they were horrendous both in terms of puck management and allowing scoring chances as we've said that was the vasilevsky show in that particular period and i know you remember that period but in a lot of the other periods where they've struggled with the puck they have settled back defensively without the puck to limit the number of dangerous chances Yes. against and when you're doing that often you're stuck out on the ice we saw it last night in the second period for sure and at points in the third period where guys were not making place to get out of the d zone which meant the other team had possession you're going on 45 seconds a minute a minute 10 and with this puck tracking now i'm sure you're seeing it it's a great stat they'll put up there sometimes you know length of shift in the defensive zone I think at one point, Sergachev was stuck out there for two minutes in the third period, mostly in the defensive zone. So, like, you can say, look, if you turn it over, it's not the end of the world. you got to D up without the puck, and they're doing that. But how hard is that when you're pushing a minute and a half on a shift forced to defend without the puck? 
<laughs> yeah, and the cameras, of course, zoomed in on him on the bench, right? He was yeah. going to die. I mean, he could, it's like, get your foot off the oxygen hose. It's, you can't, you can't breathe. And he's in magnificent shape. You know, the guy's a terrific skater. And uh, his recovery in, in a normal situation, and that's, that's two or three times normal. Um, he, he just couldn't get it done. Uh, your legs are burning. You, you, you can't breathe. And it feels like your legs shorten up by about six inches. That's kind of what happens. You're almost on the verge of cramping. You just, you know, your stride is gone. Your whole body is tightening up. And the oxygen that you're taking in, it just isn't providing enough for your body. And so you're going into shutdown mode. And so when that happens too, your ability with your hands, even your judgment starts, you know, starts to go. All those things are effective when you're out there for that long. And you can't help it. And you can't get a hold of, of uh, the puck. And when you do, you know, somebody blocks a shot, but you can't get it. The Islanders retrieval, and they're smart, and they're working it. Um, and so it's it's a cycle that you just want to get it and say, okay, f- fine. I'm fine with take, take an icing. But, like, don't mess around. A couple of times they got a hold of the puck, and then you try to make a, a little play that you normally would if things were a normal shift and maybe you want to make a six foot pass to somebody who is open momentarily. But the problem is you want to give it to him and then you want to get off and he's going, Hey, I want to get off too. And then there's another turnover, right? So even once you get to even like a minute, just over a minute, uh, get it down. Icing, big deal. At least they have to go get it and come back and you can slow your breathing down and get back under control. I'd rather that and take the face-off, even though there were stretches in the game where face-offs were, were not uh, exactly in their favor, right? It, it didn't turn out to be that bad. They were, ended up 45%. But then, uh, um, you know, for me, the retrieval is what it's all about. Um, and you got to do what you got to do. Once you touch it, don't get fancy. And if you have to get it down, because now you've got – not just one or two guys like Sergachev, but all five guys out there, and that's when scoring chances happen. Because when you're defending, it takes a lot more energy, and your anxiety adds to all of that. Whereas when you're on offense, you're getting tired too. But there's an adrenaline rush that's different, I think, and so you're full, more full of energy, certainly, than the guys who are defending. Brian Engblom joins us here on Power Lunch on Lightning Power Play. Brian, I thought Carter Verhage looked really good. He had a lot of jump, had the goal taken away. When Point comes back, would you be tempted to keep him in the lineup? This is the great thing about depth. Good players have a hard time cracking the lineup. Yeah, he acquitted himself very well. He had a lot of jump in his legs, and uh, and that's great. And that's the one thing. Like Carter's a smart guy. Uh, and he's and he's got good hands, and the, the goal that he scored that was disallowed really showed that it was a heck of a shot. Um, so the thing for him has been to get up to NHL speed skating wise this year, and that's what they told him last year. You know, last summer they said you 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 got to work on it, and he did. So he has improved. He's he's picked up a step. For me, I think for him now it's about. Uh, his his shifts drop off a little bit for me. So that's the next thing in his skating is to maintain that high level for a few more seconds each shift so you don't have that drop off. But when he can operate for an entire shift at a high level and be skating at high speed, he has the brain and he has the skills in order to make the plays at high speed that are necessary in the NHL. So um, I thought he did a heck of a job and really a shame that that one didn't count because of the offside. 
but it it is an, an interesting problem to have and you know it's a good one for the coaches because they want to continue to to push players and and change the feel a little bit so if some if carter verhage outplays somebody then john cooper and his staff have got to decide okay he's better than who you know and right now i i don't know who that person would be uh you always look at the fourth line um and those are the most logical guys to come out it would be you know a pocket or or a maroon but maroon's been so valuable on the bench you know uh, as far as that goes uh seti hits everything in sight so you know it depends on the situation in this series right now uh the experience level and the physical play of pocket might override verhage and so even though he's playing well um, you know, he still may not make the lineup and until maybe a next series, if they can get by these Islanders and get on to Dallas, then you're looking at different circumstances. But all Verhage can do is go out there and put some doubt in the coach's mind and say, hey, I'm pretty good. What are you going to do with me? Do you think there will be any effect, and maybe you think there'll be no effect, of the double overtime game in terms of how these teams want to defend with the same attention to detail and commitment to playing defense on Thursday. In other words, the the mental energy that is expended as well as the physical energy to stay on top of things defensively, can that take a little bit of a hit when you're coming off a double overtime game for either team? Or, or do you think, no, that <laughs> it doesn't matter. Both teams are going to come out and, and we may see a very similar type of game in game six. Yeah, I think for probably a good part of the game, it's going to look a lot the same. The anxiety level still it rests way more with the Islanders because they're still facing elimination until they can win one more game and even that out and put that anxiety onto the Lightning and even, you know, theoretically say, hey, you guys have more pressure than us now. We've we've done it twice. You had the lead. You've blown it, right? That's that's the game that you would play once you get, you know, to a, to a game seven. But it's still on them. The onus is still on them. And so the Lightning can still approach it that way. I think that, you know, they they have to find a way to gear up a little bit. Uh, we've seen them play offensively, I'm talking about. I, I think that, uh, you know, as cagey as they played and well defensively, it doesn't mean you have to open up completely. But I think the attention to detail took away from some of their offensive push at, at times. So, it's really, it's really about seizing the opportunity. It's about uh, analyzing shift to shift. If Yanni Gord's line gets a line change and comes out fresh, because, you know, we've seen stretches of four, five, six minutes without a whistle, right? Those are really game-changing moments. And so you can get a good line change and you catch some guys out there really tired. That's when your energy level and your offense and your focus to offense and making a couple of plays and making them hurt and in and, and scoring a goal – that's the difference in a game which would end the series for them. So it's those details of trying to find a way to amp up the offense a little bit w- without necessarily saying, well, we're going to come out and we're just going to go full bore and we're going to you know, be, be going north. That's all well and good. I don't think you're going to see that. I think they have enough confidence in their defensive game and are con- going to continue to play a little bit of the mental game on the Islanders and say, you guys have to score. We don't. And as long as this game is tied, we're okay. Are you okay? And and really, that's probably what it's going to come down to again. 
Brian, when Point does come back, I'm assuming his minutes go back to where they were. Is there any chance they would try and manage him when he does come back? Either you're in or you're out, Greg. Um, I, I think that uh, logically, you know, they, they have to rely on Braden. Uh, he's got enough experience now. Um, you know, how do you feel? We don't want to put you in jeopardy here because we have to manage long term as well. Only he knows exactly how he feels. And, and in conjunction with the training staff and the doctor, whatever the issue is. But really, it comes down to the player. And the player says, yes, I can go or no, I can't. But if the player says, yes, I can, and then eight minutes into the game, you can see that he's not right. The coach is not going to be very happy because he'd rather have somebody else in there unless you're in a game seven situation, right? And this isn't game seven yet, it's game six. So unless he says he's pretty darn close to, you know, to being as normal as, as uh, that he can function at a high level, maybe that's the best way. May, he's probably obviously not 100%, but if you can function at a high level and, and tell me that, you know, eight minutes into the game, unless you get whacked again along the boards or, you know, somebody does something to you, that's always part of the game. you got to tell me that you're at a high level, and I'm trusting you to, to uh, be honest with me. I know you want to play, but so this is game six, not game seven. Um, so uh, once he's in the game, then, you know, Cooper's smart. He's been around a long time. He can tell when Braden points at 100% and when he's not. And he'll keep checking from time to time for sure. But he'll be able to see it in his play. Does he have that burst of energy? Does, is he playing pretty cautious? Is he playing not to get hurt again? Uh, those are the things that a coach looks for and can sense because he knows his players really well. So if he's in the lineup, um, it's, it's pretty much a shift-by-shift, minute-by-minute thing for, for Cooper as well. And then at the end of the night, he has to reassess again, just like Brayton does, and go, okay, are we in for the next game? We have spent a lot of time in our program, Brian, talking about that conventional first power play unit, at least at the start of the playoffs, where Sergachev was the one defenseman on the quote-unquote top unit instead of Victor Hedman, and wondering why, you know, how was it working, et cetera, et cetera. Well, when Point was not available in Game 3 – that first power play unit featured both Hedman and Sergachev. And if you recall, Palat scored on the pass from Kucherov in Game 3. Point came back for Game 4, but they kept the two defensemen out there on the top unit, and they were together again last night in Game 5. What do you make of that setup where you have Hedman and Sergachev on the same unit? Because it does have a different look than when Sergachev and Shattenkirk would be together as they were for much of the regular season on the second unit. I think that's a function largely of playing in a series as compared to playing in the regular season again. Um, you're playing the same opposition who is studying and taking apart everything that you do, every shift, every second, every minute of the game, and breaking it down for the players and so that they know what to look for, they, so that they recognize sequences. So that's what the Islander defenders are doing. This is the sequence they like to start. When it goes here, it's probably going to end up there. So don't necessarily go to the puck right where it is now. Where's Kucherov? That's their focus. There is no doubt in your mind that Kucherov is the guy. Whether Brayton Point is in the lineup or not, you, they know, we all know, that 86 wants the puck, and they want 86 to have the puck. So you have to 
prevent that from happening without being idiotic and giving, you know, Braden Point or Victor Hedman 15 feet to work with because you're going to pick it out of the back of your net too. So different looks with two defensemen out there. And certainly as time goes down and you're in that more maybe conservative mode, even though you're on the power play, is you don't want to give up anything. Having two defensemen on the ice certainly is good if they're both capable, which they are of making plays, then when things go wrong and there's an attack and sometimes you get two on twos, you know, shorthanded against you. And if you have a forward back there, where do they go? Right. The attackers go right at the forward because the forwards aren't used to turning and going. They don't know how to play defense. That's a, that's a skill that defensemen have worked on their entire careers that forwards do not have. And they don't have the timing. They don't know how to do it. So, there, there are issues that happen when you have only one defenseman out there. So I, I like that. But on the other side, too, it's like, okay, well, normally it's only Sergachev and they have four forwards. This is what we do. Now they got Hedman. So is he going to drop down? So you have them thinking on the fly while it's happening. And it's not like they can go to the bench and, you know, go, can you show me that tape again of what it happens when, you know, that's where you have to have intelligent penalty killers who are assessing the situation and where they are on the ice. That's what penalty killing is all about. Reading where the pass is going. Can you force that guy as the pass is being received? Um, And look when the lightning were struggling uh, on that on that four minute power play. Uh, they, you know, getting in the zone is always a big issue, right? And the Islanders did a heck of a job in their sequences where the puck was along the wall and the lightning just couldn't get it settled, right? Couldn't get in and couldn't get the structure set up. And that is critical, whether it's Sergeyev and Hedman or just one of them there, getting it in under control and, and uh, getting it set up so they can move it around for a shot or an opportunity. And uh, that's where it really failed for the most part. And that's the best penalty killing there is, is not letting anybody get set up. Brian Engbaum joins us here on Power Lunch on Lightning Power Play. Uh, Brian, did Barzell look better to you in Game 5? And if you're trots, are you finding more ways to get him on the ice? I believe he led the forwards in ice time. Of course, that's inflated a bit with uh, the couple of overtimes. But you want to play your best players as much as possible. He had the opportunity in front uh, in the, what, second overtime? Is, is that something that you feel like he's he's starting to find his game from the Islanders' perspective? Uh, yeah, well, he had that one chance. He was basically all alone with Vasilevsky, and Vasi made you know a terrific save and obviously it was game-changing at the time. Um, would have been the difference maker. I, I don't think he has – he's not as much – nearly as much goal scorer as he is a playmaker. And um, I think he's struggling a little bit there, but you always have to be so aware of him because of his skating ability. If, if you're even with him, you're already in trouble. There are very few guys on the Lightning that if they're in an even foot race uh, are going to be able to do anything to, to defend him because he is so fast and, and he has so many moves. Um, I, I think that Trotz, you know, when he was asked about the lack of scoring, uh, you know, before or after last game, um, and he said that, you know, when, when guys haven't scored and, and they're lacking success, um, they're always looking for free ice rather than going into the hard areas and taking ice. Uh, that's a great, it's great coach speak, but it, it's true. Looking for free ice, looking for openings. And that's where those expressions of playing around the outside comes because that's where there's free ice. 
And Barzell is guilty of doing that because he wants open spaces. He's like a, you know, a running back in the NFL. He doesn't want to skate. Most guys don't want to, you know, run into the middle of the pack. They're, they're looking for daylight and try to break it open. Well, he's all always trying to break it open. Um, and sometimes to his detriment. So, um, he had a lot of ice time for sure. Um, he missed that chance that will weigh on him a little bit because he was all alone and, and vastly beat him, uh, in that respect. But uh, you don't want to, you know, see him scoring goals, that's for sure, or making dazzling plays, because if he gets full of himself, he's that much harder to handle. Now, I mean, look at Braden Point, right? Braden comes in and boom, gets a couple of points right away and looks spectacular. So he's had the edge by far, in my mind, over Barzell. And for the most part, for me, Brock Nelson's been the better player than Barzell over the course uh, of this series, both production-wise and what he does on both sides of the puck. Last one from me, Brian. After the game last night, both John Cooper and the players who met with the media talked about, you know what, we just need to focus on the good things that we did in this game, of which there were a lot, and we've, we've kind of spelled that out, despite the result. This is the playoffs, though. It's a double overtime loss. You don't feel good after a game like that. I know I didn't feel good after the game last <laughs> night. I'm sure the players don't feel that good. Despite the talk, like, is it hard to turn the page? They all say they need to turn the page, but how difficult actually is it, given the context of you had a chance to go to the San Luca final and you had your opportunities to win that game and you lost it anyway? Uh, is it a challenge to turn the page, or you think these guys are seasoned enough that they've they've done it enough that they can do it? Yeah, I, I think they're experienced enough and seasoned enough in, in order to get that done. Um, even just in these playoffs, I mean, it's you know it hasn't been victory after victory. They've had the losses and they've had to respond. So that teaches you, and that's the best lesson because it's immediate. But players that have been in the league, you know, five, six, nine years, whatever, it's an accumulation of all this stuff, of having gone through it before. And the core players, the top players of the Lightning who've been around since 2015, learned those lessons because they went all the way to the finals against the Blackhawks. So you, you know what it's like to do it long term and do it repeatedly, you know, having that amnesia and focusing on the things that you really did well. Individually, you have to pump yourself up. Nobody can do that. You know, you have to do it on your own. You have, to, you have to make yourself feel good, even if you don't. And you have to stick with the program that, you know, that the team uh, has laid out for you. Uh, how do you want to play and what the important things are, what the focus is. Uh, some players will always, like forwards, uh, will focus on, I want to be the hero, I want to score that goal. It's not as simple as that. But some guys are geared that way more than others. And others play, there's, you know, in basically in sports, I read an article a long time ago, Dave, that, you know, there's, there's uh, kind of two basic schools of thought. There are guys who have that thing that I just want to be the top player on the ice and I'm going to make great plays and I want to be the hero in the game. And they play like that virtually all the time. And then there's the fear of failure. So they're driven by, and I remember John McEnroe, who was a great tennis player, right? He was huge fear of failure, guys. So he pushed himself because he didn't want to be embarrassed. 
And that seems backwards, but there is a lot of that, you know, in sports. I can confess to being that guy because that's sort of how I was taught. Don't do this. Don't do that. You can't make mistakes here. You must do that. And that's a lot of what happens at the pro level, especially, you know, in certain positions. You can't make mistakes. So I think there's a lot of positive thinking training now in sports psychologists and stuff. So you probably have less of that than you did, you know, back in our day. But it still exists when you're not feeling good and you know you just messed up and it was your fault that that guy against you scored. You have to pull yourself out of that. So that's a very individual thing is very, you know, as much as every coach wants to help you, you have to overcome that yourself. And experience is a thing that teaches you more than anything else. Last question for me. What do you expect tomorrow night? I think that there will be uh, an energy level early on. Um, and, you know, we always talk about the start of the game, but it is, uh, of course, it is very important. But I think the mentality of trying to go north a little more consistency uh, with or maybe a little more freedom um, and say, you know, we're capable of scoring some goals. We, we, we want to put pressure. If, it, if we don't score, we want to put pressure. We want to make them defend. We want to make them feel like, uh-oh, here comes that that whole flow game. Here here we come, and and we're going to make them feel like, okay, we're, we've got one foot going backwards for as long as possible. I think the Lightning will try to muster that early on and create it for as long as they can. And the Islanders are going to be doing the same thing, right, because they don't want to start out that way. So it will be that that uh, antagonistic sort of uh, first five, eight, nine minutes of the game is who's going to grab control of it early on. After that, the game starts to take control of itself. Uh, goaltending will make the difference. Can Barlamov play as well as he did last game? He's been okay, but that was his best game. I have a lot of confidence in Vasi. I think everybody does. I think he's in a terrific place and has been all playoff long. I mean, how many bad goals has Vasilevsky let in in the entire playoffs? Not a whole hell of a lot. So I think the Lightning are very confident in that. And look, you can't BS the players. If your goalie is mediocre, and on some teams, maybe the players were wondering, well, is this guy going to play or is the other guy going to play? It, it, it matters. You know, it, 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 it gives a different feel to a team as much as you say all the right things. The Lightning don't have to worry about that. So I think they'll press forward. And I have a good feeling that I think they'll take it to the Islanders pretty good next game. And especially if uh, number 21's in the lineup, that will certainly go a long ways to putting fuel on the fire. Brian, great job as always. Love the analysis. And tomorrow night should be a lot of fun. Thank you. Thanks very much, guys. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it as always. Thanks, Brian. That is Brian Engblom joining us here on Power Lunch on Lightning Power Play. We will take a break. We'll come back and wrap up the show. If you want to react to anything Brian had to say, you certainly can do that. He is Dave Mishkin. I am Greg Linelli. It's Lightning Power Play. An hour of hockey talk to get you through social distancing. This is Power Lunch on Lightning Power Play. Thanks to Brian Engblom, who joined us in that previous segment. Greg Linelli along with Dave Mishkin. Tomorrow, again, is Game 6. Tampa Bay leads this best of seven, three games to two. And Dave, you know, it's interesting. The narrative a little bit, maybe locally, maybe nationally, is that 
the Lightning over their last, what, five opportunities to get that last win in advance to the Stanley Cup final are now 0-5. Of course, yep. they had those opportunities against Pittsburgh up 3-2, against Washington 3-2, and against the Islanders here. It's interesting, both of those teams that Tampa Bay lost to won the Stanley Cup, so they, they did lose to, you could make the case, the better team. But I'm wondering, you know, stats... I think you can read into them certain ways, but for the most part, stats don't lie. I do think this is a different lightning team, but do you think there's any truth to that 0-5 record? And does that weigh, I don't want to say on the players, but on you when you take a look at how the game may unfold tomorrow? Do the lightning have problems closing out series when it matters the most? Well, besides the fact that they've lost all five games, one common denominator, <laughs> if my memory is accurate, they have not led in any of those five games. So they've either been tied or behind. But I will tell you the one significant difference between what I saw from the Lightning last night in a 3-1 series. So in those other games, they were never up 3-1. They were up 3-2 against Pittsburgh. They were up 3-2 against Washington and lost game six and seven in both series. And also, game six in both of those series was the first time that the Penguins in 2016 and then the Capitals in 2018 faced elimination. So, like we talked about yesterday, it's still not easy, but the Penguins and Caps only had to stave off elimination twice not three times, which is the path the Islanders are going to need to take if they're going to come back and win this series. But the biggest difference to me between how the Lightning played last night and those other four games to varying degrees, the Lightning did not play nearly as well in those other four games as they did last night. I remember in particular game six in Washington. Now, after that game, the Caps won 3 nothing. It was 0-0 late second. Oshie scored a power play goal, and then the Caps added two in the third. But I remember feeling as though after that game that the Lightning tried to tiptoe their way to the Stanley Cup final. And that is just no way to play. <laughs> in a game six of the conference final when you have a chance to eliminate the other side. And I remember talking to the Caps people after that playoff year was up, like at the end of the at the end of the, the year, after they'd won the Stanley Cup, Caps people said game six was by far the best game the Capitals played. Facing elimination, they played as close to a perfect game as you can play. And fair enough, that's how they looked at it. But I think one reason why, the Lightning did not have much pushback at all. They were almost expecting that the Capitals were going to cave in, which had been the narrative, right? The Caps were up 2-0 in the series. They're... They're now down 3-2, same old caps. They're going to crumble, and at no point did the Lightning make the Capitals feel uncomfortable in Game 6. I thought the Lightning were better in Game 7 in that series. I know they lost that game 4 nothing as well. I thought they had a, a fairly strong first half of the game, but by then it was 2 nothing. Once it became 2 nothing, and then 3 nothing in the second, it was lights out. But they still didn't play as well as they did last night. In the Pittsburgh series... I thought the Lightning weren't as tentative in that game six, but they were still tentative. 
And I thought the Penguins went for it. Of course, the Lightning had the Druin goal overturned on the offside challenge. And maybe if that wasn't offside, maybe that game would have unfolded differently. But you recall, Greg, I mean, the Penguins jumped out to a 3 nothing lead after two periods. And they were really taking it to the Lightning, as they were throughout that series. I mean, I think the Penguins played really well in that series. And the Lightning had a good third period, but couldn't rally. But still, I think for the game as a whole... The Lightning did not put their best foot forward. And then in Game 7, they got overwhelmed. I mean, the Penguins just dominated Game 7. And if not for Vasilevsky, it was a 2-1 game. It probably should have been 5 or 6-1. So what's the difference? The difference is that I thought the Lightning didn't tiptoe into last night's game. I thought they played that game well enough to win, certainly, as we've talked about. And that's not insignificant. I think some of the reason why they fell in those other games was the other team took the play to them. And I thought last night that was not the case. Now, it's a different team. The Lightning are a different team. The Islanders are a different team than both the Capitals in 2018 and the Penguins in 2016. And it's one of these stats, like you said, we're going to be hearing a lot about 0-5 heading into Game 6. And if the Lightning lose Game 6, we're going to continue to hear about this stat. I think it shows that it is hard to win a series in the playoffs. It's hard to win a series deep in the playoffs as well. So it's going to take the sort of performance the Lightning had last night in terms of how hard they played and how hard they pushed. Even though they did lose last night, I did see a difference between Game 5 this year and those other four contests. Yeah, and, you know, it probably goes back to winning that last game is the hardest one to do. And um, I feel good about the Lightning and their play and, and what they've done in this Islanders series, particularly when you factor in that Braden Point has missed some time and that Steven Samkos hasn't been in the series. I think the Lightning, for the most part, have done a lot of good things. And I think eventually they will be rewarded for that. And hopefully that is tomorrow. I uh, retweeted something out, Pierre Lebrun was talking about uh, the schedule, and um, I don't know if this is something, I'm sure he's getting this from the league, but it, this goes um, obviously to tomorrow, and if the Lightning win, he's looking at something where you know they get right into the Stanley Cup Finals on Saturday, and then there'd be a, a back-to-back early in the week, which would be very interesting. But that's for another time, Dave. We've got to get past tomorrow, yeah. and... The Lightning should expect the Islanders' A game. But I think the Islanders should also expect Tampa Bay's A game as well. And that's something I'm excited to see uh, starting at 8 o'clock with your call uh, with the great one, Phil Esposito. Thank you, Dave. It would help for the Lightning to get the lead. Agreed. And I say that, I mean, it's not it's not a foregone conclusion if they get the lead that they'll win. But the way they defended in Game 5... And really the way they closed out game four in the third period when they got the lead show that if if they get the lead, they can be hard to score against two. And we'll see what happens if they can actually get the lead. They've allowed the first goal now after game one in every game since. Now they've scored the next goal, so every game has started 1-0 Islanders and then the Lightning have tied it. But I think they would really like to get the first goal and, and play with the lead a little bit more than, than they have, really, for the bulk of the series. I mean, when you think about it, they had a lead for the second half of game four, let's say. 
But other than that, you know, the only other time they've been ahead was when Kucherov scored at the end of game two. And, yeah. and the rest of the time it's either been tied or they've been chasing. So let's see if they can turn the tables a little bit on the Islanders in that regard and force the Islanders to play catch up, which which will mean that the Islanders may have to press a little bit more and may generate more pressure on the Lightning, but there may be some more opportunities coming back the other way for Tampa Bay than what we saw for, for much of Game 5. Great stuff, Dave. Look forward to the call tomorrow. Yep, talk to you tomorrow, Greg. He's Dave Michigan. I'm Greg Lanelli. Thanks to Steve Ersnick. Again, puck drops at 8, pregames at 7.30, but you can also catch the pregame skate show with Brian Burns and Kaylee Chelios at 7 o'clock on News Radio WFLA and Lightning Power Play. All right, everybody, have a great day. We'll talk to you tomorrow on Lightning Power Play.